I got into this because I'd had enough. I was fed up, but I got to put my words into action because I felt that at that moment when I spoke to the board of supervisors, there was millions of people listening. As I've sort of become a leader in this movement, I've realized that people want nothing more than to get on board to get their freedom back. If my voice gets heard and helps people, then this has all been well worth it. If my kids have a better America to live in, then this is absolutely worth it. I really don't like this stuff. I never wanted to be part of a production or a movie or, you know, I'd rather be out in the fields fighting somebody. Way that we fight, if this is the way that we inspire uh, people to move forward and, and to come on board with us, you know, for the win, then I'll be here. So. Two, one. All right. Okay, here we are. Yeah. Awesome. This is really cool. We're getting more and more high tech as we go. More toys. I know. We have yeah. a timer. We have guests on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Baird's going to be with us today. So this is super. This will this will be our first time trying this via Zoom. Yeah. Is it Zoom? Is that is that what we're using? Zoom. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Good deal. Mark, welcome. Thanks for uh, coming along with us and for, 
you know, for the words you're going to speak. I know every time I've spent any time with Mark Baird, it's like I wish I had a notebook so I could take notes because he's one of the really what I consider a leading scholar on the Constitution and yep. American history. You know, and I think the two go hand in hand. You need to understand American history to really understand the Constitution and vice versa. You know, so yeah. well, we'll have this recorded so you don't need a notebook. You can just you know, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too lazy to get a notebook, so we did all this, you know, to, <laughs> yeah. to make it happen. Yeah, so we were gonna talk about the uh declaration of independence today, Mark. So that's why we needed to have you here. And uh a lot of people think that the Constitution was our was our founding document, but really Really, it was that declaration, and and we wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, just the mood of the country um, at that time. You know, like maybe maybe talk a little bit about Thomas Paine and Common Sense, the pamphlet that went out. That was, man, it was the most printed pamphlet of mm-hmm. all time at that point because people had never really heard that, and uh, mm-hmm. so I'd be curious if there's any uh, parallels between the mood then and. And now, from an expert opinion, well, yeah. I think we have to draw those parallels. Yeah, you know to understand. I, think I, I sense a, a lot of them, see a yeah. lot of them, and practical, and so, both in uh, so, know, so mindset. Yeah, Mark, what were they faced against? I mean, we've read the history books, we know the story, but what insight can you give us as to what the mind was at the time, the collective mind of the population, the people at that point? Well. Well, I think the big difference now is that we're faced with a tremendous amount of ignorance now. And there was uh, far less ignorance, if, if very little at all, in those days. Because, remember, those people read. And, and they didn't have television. They didn't have mindless entertainment. They read books. They did go to plays. Uh, you know, more uh, affluent people went to, sh- went to shows. Uh, ben Franklin liked to go to the plays in, in town. But most people read books. And... And if you were well-educated, you could read Greek, you could read Latin, you read Marcus Cicero, you read Montesquieu, you read, um, you know, uh, uh, a lot of books that people have never even heard of now. But the ideas of liberty aren't new. They're, you know, they're five, 6,000 years old. The, the uh, statement that is around the Liberty Bell was first uttered in the Bible 5,000 years ago, mm-hmm. proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants therein. And so liberty was very important to them because they felt like uh, human ingenuity was a personal responsibility. It was not the responsibility of the government to give you everything. And in fact, Thomas Jefferson said any government big enough to give you everything is also big enough to take it away. And nowadays, we look to government for everything. Government is the big security blanket. You dive into government, you scream for the government, you, the government's supposed to help you and, and give you things. But that's not the proper role of government, and they knew that, and they didn't want government in their lives. That's why Article 1, Section 8 is in the Constitution, because the powers of the federal government are limited and, and well-defined. And, of course, uh, the Constitution means nothing to our, our current uh, uh, global elites and, and the people who rule over us. And as a result of that, our liberty's gone. I, I think there was a survey in Florida where they interviewed college kids, and like 48 to 50-something percent of them thought that the Constitution needed to basically be scrapped because it was too outdated. But you have to ask yourself, what part of it didn't they, don't these kids like? Do they not like the part where the president serves four years? Do they not like the part where uh, uh, Congress uh, serves for two years, where senators have a set term? Which part of it is it that the government 
and through them, their shills and their uh, yes men in, in the population, what do they want to get rid of? Well, it's the only part where we get something, and that's the Bill of Rights. That's the part they hate. And they literally, uh, most of these children are so ignorant and so uneducated that they literally hate the fact that they have personal liberty and they want to do away with those liberties. And, yeah. and that's quite frankly, what it boils down to. Well, they, they cheer on, um, you know, other people being silenced and other people being oppressed because mm-hmm. it's not them. And they don't realize that they're next. And that's the ignorant part about it is like, Hey, I don't like what you say. I don't care if they shut you up. Yeah. Shut up. You know, it, it almost seems like they don't right. care about their liberty. Like, you know, there's truth to what you say that they don't care because it's not them being oppressed at the time. But I don't think that they would mind being oppressed. I think it's a certain kind of sick psychology, you know, that says, "Hey, you know, I would jump on that on that rail cart. I would jump on the train and go wherever they tell me to go because I'm doing it for the good of everybody else." And they'd be convinced that they're doing it, you know, for uh, for the good. So yeah. I, I don't know that we can change somebody's mind who is at that point. And this has been. A long time coming. I mean, this is sixty years of hard conditioning and indoctrination through our schools, where we get this mentality of people that they don't care about liberty. You can put it in their face and say, "Look, you could have this, but they won't. They won't take it. They won't want." Well, and I think you know a big one, and like you said, Mark, uh, is that security piece. They just want to be secure. They don't want any discomfort, no suffering, even mentally. They don't even want a mental challenge. They just want to be just le- like left to this mass comfort. Taken care of. And taken care of. And, and then so they, well, who do they go to? Well, Safe default, spaces. Human nature, you default to your government to do that or a king or a monarchy. Because that's a lot of what went on in that time period that I'm catching in refreshing these documents is it was a lot against the monarchy and the mindsets of that. But that's a parallel to a power vacuum of corruption and whatever. It doesn't necessarily need to be one king, right? Mark, you want to speak to that a little bit, that that monarchy mindset and well, pushing against that? Yeah, I, I think the monarchy mindset is certainly part of it. But there was a guy that wrote a book um, that's probably 20-odd years ago. In fact, that book's probably older than most of you guys are. But his name was Eric Fromm, and he wrote a book called Escape from Freedom. And what he did was he compared the uh, Russian communist idea of freedom with the American ideal of freedom. And in Russia, the uh, freedom meant I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to worry about having a loaf of bread at the end of the day or a place to sleep or a roof over my head. In in Russia, especially under communist Russia, uh, freedom meant I had job security and I had some money. It wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't great bread, but I I had a place to live and I had food in my mouth. And that's literally what freedom means to a communist mindset. And what freedom means to Americans traditionally was we can go where we want, do what we want, say what we want. So that dichotomy of what does freedom mean to you, and that's the narrative that's changing. Now, in the monarchy of uh, King George, um, you know, the parliament different, definitely had a different mindset than the king did. And, and literally, the colonies were formed as contracts where people were beholden to the king, not to parliament. Mm-hmm. And so the king literally had legal control and lawful control over, quote, his land, which were the 13 colonies. And when, when the parliament started to stick their nose in it, it almost caused a, a, what they would have called probably a constitutional crisis because the king was horrified. He said, hey, this isn't your land, it's my land. You don't have any jurisdiction over the colonies. But as things evolved, and they certainly do, 
then Parliament started to take charge. And now we have the Intolerable Acts, we have the Stamp Act, and we have all of the things that the colonists rebelled against. Because once again, in their minds, it, it was an assault on their basic liberty. It wasn't the fact that tea cost one more cent a cup. I mean, tea from England, even after the tea tax, was cheaper than tea from anywhere else. It was the idea that it was taxation where they had no say over the taxes that were levied upon them. And that was because the king was in charge of the contract and not their uh, so-called elected representatives, even though in the colonies they didn't have any. And that was another petition they wanted. They wanted a representative of, uh, you know, uh, from each colony in parliament, which they had every right to expect. So uh, some, when these things happened, they didn't rebel about being overtaxed. They rebelled because they weren't consulted first. Mm -hmm. And it was an assault on the laws of God, which is where your liberty comes from. You have inalienable rights. That's where those concepts came from. And those concepts are thousands of years old. The colonists, uh, they didn't invent that. They didn't invent free speech. They didn't invent any of it. They stole those ideas from men far older than them in the Roman Empire and empires that succeeded through throughout the ages. But what they did was they coalesced those concepts into a document that, with blood and treasure and, and a pretty big fight, became the American ideal and our founding document. And that was the Declaration of Independence, because after all, the Constitution was just our second try. We had the Articles of Confederation. We had 10 presidents of the United States before the United States Constitution. And that document was a failure. And so the people having the right, when government fails to serve them, to abolish or reform that government, they then created the Constitution. And the states created that. The states are the authors of the document that created the federal government, not the other way around. When you look at it now, the object of the contract or the product of the contract is telling the authors of the contract what to do. And that's unheard of in contract law. It's unheard of in constitutional law, and it shouldn't be allowed by the people. No, no. And what, what, what you said early, earlier about freedom meaning different things, too, I remember reading one of uh, Washington's letters where he talked about, even in America, the different idea of freedom, where the Northeastern states believed Freedom was the freedom to do commerce. The people of the South believed that their liberty came from God and don't tell me what to do as far as anything. So even they both had a different idea what what freedom was. You know? So I, I think it really comes down to individualism versus collectivism. And it doesn't matter whether it's uh, fascism, communism, Rhodesianism. Uh, Leninism, I mean, you name it. It's It really comes down to all these different forms of collectivism versus individualism. And I think with individualism is where we actually have true freedom and liberty. I hate when they say you have a collective responsibility yeah. or a social contract, man. Yeah. I don't like that. It's, it's, that it's my freedom contract. to go to I school. I never signed it. <laughs> yeah. It's my freedom to go to school for free. It's my freedom, you know, to have all this free stuff without having to do anything for it. Where do you, where do we take individual responsibility, you know, for our own well-being, you know? Yeah. So. so I could be way off here, but I see a huge parallel to the move of secular, the removal of God, you know, the rise in the secular mindset to perpetuate this divide in wanting your own personal liberties and freedoms, that you're saying, you know, like, like you're saying, Mark, well, thousands of years old. So it, as we get further from that, is it, is it fair to say that's also the, we get further from a, a freedom loving people? 
Well, I mean, you're spot on about that because what the colonists were rebelling against was a monarch and a parliament that violated the laws of God. Because in William Blackstone's treatise on law, in both volumes, and also in the uh, Declaration of Independence itself, it makes it very clear that you have inalienable absolute rights. And he said those rights apply whether you participate in society or not. In other words, as a, uh, and even the California Constitution, Article 1, Section 1, says that we're born free and independent beings, and as such, we enjoy certain inalienable or, or God-given rights. And so when the king began to violate the laws of God, which was individualism and not collectivism, and it was the individual right to determine your own destiny, that's what the colonists were rebelling against. Like I said, it wasn't the money. It wasn't that much money. I mean, literally, people in the United States learned to love coffee because they weren't going to buy the tea because the tea came from the king. I love coffee. And it had nothing yeah, to do too. with the money. <laughs> yeah. So well, what you just said, Mark, that's, kind of lends itself. But that's itself, why we drink coffee. Yeah. yeah. So, so that lends itself to an idea that people have or had at one point principles, principles enough to say, you know what, it might inconvenience me. Coffee might not taste as good as that tea, but based on my principles and what I believe, I'm going to start drinking coffee and not drink tea. You vote every time you shop. But what we're seeing now is people who say, hey, you know what, I'm not going to support any store that you know, uh, is going to outcast those who are unvaccinated. I'm not going to support stores that make me wear masks. I'm not going to support stores that are going along with, with the narrative. But then when it comes down to it, they still shop there, they still go and give their money there, and, and they buy things, and they perpetuate the very thing that they want to fight against. You know, and, and I don't know that we're principled enough. I don't know that if I don't know if I can convince my wife not to shop at Amazon, you know, and, and this is a problem that we're seeing uh, nation, nationwide and really globally is that we're not willing to give up our conveniences mm -hmm. Our, you know, yeah. uh, are you willing to face the discomfort? Maybe to be a little uncomfortable yeah. for the sake of doing what's right. Yeah. Well, even that's constitutional, because the reason that the Constitution was so narrowly defined is so that the federal government would have very few powers, mm -hmm. and the powers that they did have would, once again, be narrowly defined, make war, make treaties, uh, regulate commerce between states if there was some kind of unfairness going on, and so on. Um, and the states themselves were considered crucibles of democracy, where people could vote with their feet if they didn't like the government in a state. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea was, and Alex de Tocqueville said it best in 1825 in his book, uh, it, it used to, it, when his book first came out, it was called The American Republic, but uh, someone down the line in the progressive era, I think, changed it to democracy in America. We're not a democracy, <laughs> we're a constitutional republic. And de Tocqueville said it best. He said the best, the best form of government known to man is the township, which in those days was one square mile with the town in it. Now you would call it a county, I guess. And that's where people live and work and have direct and local representation. And when that representation fails them, they either get rid of it or they vote with their feet and they move to a county that's more conducive to their liberties. And that's how the founders meant this to be, where the federal government, because you really, you'd have to leave the country in order to find relief from that injustice. So the federal government was meant not to have much power at all. And, and the states would, would have the vast majority of the power. And as you can see, um, I mean, the cart's in front of the horse now. And I don't know. I, I agree with you. I don't think people have the backbone to put it back. I, I'm sorry to say that. I think they've turned their back on God. 
And no matter what the Lord commands, they're, they're going to do what's easy until a stronger message is sent, and it will be. Um, this has happened before. We're not the first republic to lose our way. We won't be the last. We're not the first republic in history that's ever been destroyed by the inattention of its citizens. Um, uh, the Roman Empire, um, uh, the Greeks, all of them, they've all fallen because people became complacent. They failed to observe the principles upon which their government was founded. And in the end, someone came and took it from them. It happened to the Israel. It happened to the Jewish people four times before yeah. the New Testament, yeah. where they uh, where they started murdering their own children. They turned their backs on God, and God warned them and warned them and warned them. And finally, the Babylonians came and kicked their tail and drug them off into slavery for four hundred years. It happened with the Egyptians. It even happened when Noah in Noah's time. I mean, Noah standing at the door of the boat saying, the flood's coming, come on to the boat, come on to the boat. And people were laughing at him. And it wasn't Noah that shut the door. Even when it started to rain, they tried to run up the hill, they tried climbing trees, but nobody went to the boat. And Noah didn't shut the door, God shut it. Yeah. So there will be a time when God shuts the door on this nation if we don't start to wake up. Well, I, I don't know how... Where do we go when, when there's a, a large percentage of people that support things like partial birth abortions? You know what I mean? I'm just, I mean, they'll, they'll let the body come out and the head stays in and they stab the head open and they suck the brain out with a vacuum and then they sell the body part. Look, I don't like talking about this stuff, but I'm just saying, I mean, that's where that's. How that's, do you find common ground with that person? You don't. I don't think there's. You know, I, I don't think we're at a point anymore as Americans that we can find this common ground to work at. And this is what I've been saying, what we've all really been saying is that that's where well, my frustration comes in, is I don't think we can come to a table and have a real conversation with these people because we are on two different planets, you know? So, well, let's let's take that just for, uh, let's take that sentence, just an exa example. 5,000 years ago, someone said in a very famous book, a house divided against itself can not, not stand. stand. It doesn't say yeah. may not stand. It doesn't say will not stand. It says cannot stand. Abraham Lincoln stole that saying. And he said, a house divided against itself will not stand. Well, he meant cannot stand because it won't. When you have, uh, when you have uh, half, approximately half the people that believe in liberty and self-responsibility and caring for children instead of murdering them and, you know, all of the things that all the people around the table obviously believe, uh, you're, you're going to want to go in one direction. And when the other half thinks it's okay, uh, uh, people pretending to be the other sex and murdering your own children and uh, men dressing like women and going in women's bathrooms and all of the things that we see today, those two things are incongruous with one another. And, and light cannot have fellowship with darkness because where there is darkness, there can't be any light. And where there is light, there can't be any darkness. Those two are just not compatible. So where do we go from here? That's, that's the open question. Well, I, 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 I think that we, I, I don't, Go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. I I don't know the answer. Well, I've been saying for a while that that I when just historically and when I look at things right now, and when you're this divided, to me, there's really only two options: you either have to separate into people groups, segregate, or fight. I don't see any other options there. I mean, what what else can you do? You know, or surrender. I mean, I guess there is a right. third option. Yeah, you either comply or you separate. And that's what the Declaration of Independence was. Whenever it becomes necessary for one people to break the political bands that's, that uh, join them with another people, it is only a common decency that, that uh, requires us to state the causes for that separation. 
Um, that's what the declaration was for. A house divided against itself could not stand. Sure. And so the colonists prepared a document in all fairness to tell the king why they would not be remaining as British subjects. And, and look, that document was a worthless piece of paper unless they won the war. It was the same as the Emancipation Proclamation. It meant nothing unless there was a victory that went along with it. And here we are. In my opinion, we have to lead from the front. And the only way to do that is to form a state of our own where liberty and common sense and, and uh, all of the things that we value uh, will be prevalent and then show other people that it's a better life. And, uh, you know, you, you'll have people on the other side of the line saying, yeah. And then they'll say, hey, how do we get some of that? And then we teach them. Uh, yeah. I think that's the only answer except for the fight. And I don't think people will fight. I just don't. Yeah, I think we're past the time of moving with our feet and we have to stay and fight for what sure. we have, you know, whether it's on a county yeah. level or, you know, the Jefferson State movement, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, I mean, we're going to run out of places to run to. So. Yeah, I feel like they're do gone. Need, yeah. I don't feel like we're, you know. Do we need a new state? Mark, you said we need a new state, which I assume you're speaking of the state of Jefferson, right? In any yeah. case, you know. But I, I would submit to you that maybe we need a new country. I mean, is that something we've thought about? <laughs> I mean, really? Well, yeah. I, and I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong about that. But what's the easiest, you know, let's say that you're right. And, and I'm not saying you're not right. Mm -hmm. What's the easiest way to do that? We have to have some states that want to form that country. Sure. Right. And we're going, and we're going to need one of those before we can have two. Sure. Right. So, uh, and I think that there is a, you know, one thing we've always been very interested in is having a lawful, a legal, moral, and ethical process to arrive at those things, because I don't want to tell people to take up arms. I, I, I don't think anyone would, for one. I, I think it would be unproductive, at least in the situation we're in right now. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that'll change. I don't know. And if it does, I'll be there. But for right now, we have constitutional processes we can observe. And um, I think that our pathway now is to declare the state of California is engaged in sedition for violating uh, uh, Title 8, 1324, harboring and shielding illegal aliens, as mm -hmm. well as other crimes. Uh, the governor's usurpation of the Emergency Services Act with mandates on vaccines and all the other stuff. Uh, the abandonment of free speech, because Article 3, Section 1 of the California Constitution says the Constitution of the United States is the highest law in the land. So I think there's a case mm -hmm. for sedition, but we need hundreds of thousands of people to subscribe to that notion and help us, because the uh, five or six hundred or even a thousand of us that want this aren't enough. We need big numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, so it's not unrealistic for, for us, like in our county here, to be having an expectation of our county supervisors to protect us from tyranny above, just like we should expect our governor, being that the well, original intent was that the states, they would have never went along with it if they thought the federal government was going to be reigning over them. Right. right. That's that's right. Exactly. They would not have gone along with it. And several states did not want to go along with it and were convinced only by the guarantees in the Bill of Rights, particularly the those uh, delegates from the anti-federalist camp and the anti-federalist papers. Um, basically, the Bill of Rights was the bone that guys like Alexander Hamilton threw to them so that they would uh, sign on to the Constitution if it had extraordinary guarantees on liberty. 
and those guarantees have been dashed underfoot and, and buried in the in the uh, outhouse as far as I'm concerned. And so the way to do this is you guys are on to this. You, you already know these things. And, and I think that the Holy Spirit is prevalent in all of us or we wouldn't know any of these things. You, you start with, in your own backyard because, as de Tocqueville said, this works from the bottom up, not the top down. Right. You clean house and you get a constitutional board of supervisors. We already have one in Siskiyou County. We've got four votes of constitutional thinkers, and it, we have three for sure, and one maybe, and then one has always been a no. But um, And what we need to do is clean house in our own county, and then we'll have local government who can interpose themselves between us and the next biggest dog in the backyard that wants to take our liberty away. And we support that effort with our militias and with our sheriff's posses and with our, <coughs> our, our own efforts, our personal efforts. And, and then it, it, when we get enough counties, then we take the state from those who would take our liberty and those are the people in Sacramento. And I think that we could take our state, but we would need 10 or 20 counties that absolutely supported that both politically and financially. And if they won't give it to us, then we take it. Yeah. So Mark, I, I want to, it's, it's, I really would love to hear your, um, your perspective on this declaration piece, right. Of our independence, you said it in your own backyard. So the mm -hmm. individuals that are going to listen to this, watch this, what, what can they do right now to start getting traction on that? They're hearing what we're saying. They're they're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. I believe that. I can see what they're talking mm -hmm. about. So what do what do they do? What does the individual do in their house and then beyond? How do they start stretching in their backyard security of liberty? You know, and and like you were saying, you were. I think you were kind of headed that way. And I'd just be interested for our listeners to you know get your perspective well, on that. Well, I think one thing that has to be done before anything else. We need to stop the bleeding. I mean, whenever you have a traumatic wound, first thing you do is stop the bleeding. Mm -hmm. And that begins at the school board because the bleeding continues as we speak. Uh, these little children are going into these uh, indoctrination camps. schools and they're being taught things that are anti-government, anti-God, anti-liberty, anti-morality. And then they grow up and we don't even know our own children. I mean, uh, my son is a good example of that he's a, he's a screaming liberal. I don't even know him. I don't know how he got that way, but it was obviously at school because he didn't get that way at home. We need to stop that bleeding. We need to have people show up to those school boards. We need to have people run for those positions who are in favor of, of God and liberty. And we need to clean house at the Board of Supervisors, which you guys already know and you're already trying to do. And what people can do to help is show up. Uh, you know, you, uh, I, I've said for a long time, if we could take this movement, red, white, and blue, state of Jefferson, it, it, it's irrelevant, and go to Sacramento with 150,000 people, we'd walk out of there with a win. But when we keep showing up with the same 50 people, it, it's not going to have a good result. And we just won't win. I'm sorry to say that, but it's the truth. So tipping, we need people to show up. Yeah, something in people to, to move to action right now. And action just looks exactly. like showing up to the, the thing small to your world, which is a school board, which now instead, right. of, instead of public schools, they're government schools. I like that term because yeah. that's who's mm -hmm. in charge of it. We got to build know, build and, coalitions, keep doing that. And yeah. I think that this this red, white, and blue print's been doing some of that. I mean, we got radio shows to be on later this week and different people that are reaching out to us. And, and we have to agree 
that, hey, we're never going to agree on 100% of issues, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us are pretty like-minded, but if we sit here and talk long enough, we're going to find things we don't we agree on. Hairs. But sure. like, wasn't, didn't Ronald Reagan say, hey, if you agree on 80% of issues, then we're allies? You know what I mean? And so we got we to gotta get a little broader. To, that's one thing you got to give liberals credit yeah. for. They stick is, together. Is, man, even when they don't agree, they stick yeah. together yeah. no matter what. Well, we're, they, we'll, they have we'll split a common hairs. enemy, and they're willing to fight against that enemy, and they're doing everything they can to take us down. And this yeah. is where we are really horrible at it, right? Is because we are moral, moral principled people, you know, we often are so tied to that that we are unable to see somebody else's point of view or their differences if if, if we uh, perceive that to be contrary to our own, own morality, our own principles, you know? Mm-hmm. To the left, they don't care. You can believe whatever you want, you know, as long as you hate America and you hate God, <laughs> you're on their side. So uh, <laughs> Lonnie here... Um, he, he actually started a school, Mark. Um, so we were talking about education. And, um, you know, we've had a couple different um, uh, uh, groups of people starting their own schools and alternate to uh, uh, what we have available here locally. But you want you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was just, um, you know, meeting demand. I couldn't, like you're saying, Mark, you're well, describing, you know, yeah, join the school board. But you're trying to really, I mean, that's a, that's a big mountain to push at this point. Again, Maybe the apathy it got to this point, and I didn't realize when before you have kids, you don't realize what you're fighting against. And a lot of people take the approach of, well, once my kids are through, then I'll just sneak mine through. And I think what you said was one of my biggest fears. You said, you know, I don't know my son. And recently my reading has shown that we're just set at such disadvantage by the time, just the sheer time that all these schools have with your children. If you sit and evaluate that and you think about how busy you are and how much concentrated time you get with your child to affect their lives and their minds and their learning and everything, you're at odds if you're both parents working, you know, the kid goes to school, then goes to sports, you might get a concentrated maybe hour a day. And these schools schools have a ton of, you know, they have multiple hours every single day. So maybe it was a misplaced fear, but I said, I don't want to have that for my kids. And just by that demand, started figuring out, okay, homeschool, but then they still, I still love a lot of the structures. And I think what was at the heart of the original schools to have kids meet, gather, have other influences, but then have the core of this thing of a love for freedom and families that want to stand for freedoms and families that want to pour into their kids. So now, you know, it's a small, slow growth, small, um, but I think it, it stands on these principles and I, I don't pull any punches that I want to have my kids principled. I want them to be able to stand to adversity and be willing to make the difficult choice. And they might have to endure something not fun in the moment. But I think the schools try and, you know, bubble wrap every kid all day for eight hours and six hours, whatever it is. And it's hard to then reverse that when you get home and tell them, you're okay, you're safe. God's got your back. Like, go do this. Go do that. And whoa, all day, teachers are trying to protect me. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't say this to little Johnny. I can't act that way. I can't wrestle with my friends. I can't hug my teacher. Like, it's just, they get so confined. And then you try and get them to come home and do this big adaptation. You know, it's this big flip-flop that you're asking from your kid. So anyway, we started this learning center. And it's a, a learning center just because we don't want government overreach coming into it and honor people's freedoms and liberties, but yet instill that and kind of re-inject the things that we can see that have been pulled intentionally from uh, government schools. So, 
Well, you've hit on something very important there because, as we said before, uh, and we all agree on this, there are two methods to correct this problem. One of them is, uh, uh, you know, attack the system itself and try to change the system to come conform to what we think it should be or what the Constitution says it should be. And the other method, which is by far, um, I think, probably more effective and easier is vote with your feet. So what you've done is presented an alternative to people where they can make a choice. Do I want my my children re-educated and indoctrinated or do I want them led by moral ethical people? And I, do I want examples of moral ethical leadership involved in the classroom? And do I want my children to adopt that, that type of um, education? And, and so I think what you've done there is you've literally uh, taken this back to 1835 where your children were educated in in a school where the town got together and kind of paid the teacher and and parents were very much a part of that educational process and they invited civic leaders and they invited people whom they considered admirable and moral individuals to come in and talk to the kids and show them the way and we always have to lead from the front um that's the that's the mark of any good leaders you got to be out front of that so create that keep it going let's get more of that going i mean that's the way with the children and then we'll have to determine the best way to assault the uh the position of the government that we created supposedly to serve us and is now our master yeah yeah that is a whole nother one to unpack boy that strategy (laughs) i mean starting in your backyard is the best i've been a big proponent of that and having you know your alliance is small and then it just grows Mm -hmm. as you gain that strength and momentum but yeah, I just saw it as, I, you know, I can't wait. I can't try and change the school system right now for my kids that are in it. That's no, a, kind no, of an inappropriate <clears throat> judgment, right, of just time. I said, that's not good critical thinking. I'm not going to change this system now that my daughter's 10. You know, she's going to spend, no. you know, 17 or seven more years in this. I'm like, mm. Yeah. But I'm, got, ho- I'm hopeful we do both. I hope there are people Absolutely. that are called to get onto these government school boards and serve that way too, you know, to, to yeah. start right in the ship. I think it's like, how long, how many miles does it take to turn one of those big ships? You know yeah. I mean? Lot, it, it's going to, time and a lot of, it's going to take a lot of time. So, but yeah, at some point I feel like we're talking to people that are already on our side, right? People listening mm-hmm. to us, people oh, yeah. who, you know, subscribe to the things that we send them. They're, they're, they're already by and large, you know, believers in, right. in what we're doing. That's why they're supporting us. Right. But how do we get people from the other side or people who are perhaps in the middle who are undecided about how they feel. Or how about on, people on that our, think our the team. same way as us, but they are still, <coughs> they still just go along with it because they're, sure. they're like, oh, I'm busy, this and that. And maybe they don't believe in vaccines, but they're like, well, my kids had to get vaccines because, you know what I mean? People have all yeah. these excuses. And I think there's a lot of people listening out there that are kind of, you know, believe in what we're doing, but they're still combined. lost on how, or, or on how to get plugged in on how to actually live a life where this is your action. This is what we're doing, you know? We're we're living out this thing. Yeah. 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 I hate that. I I think the way to do that is more small town halls in different neighborhoods. But I think one segment of the population we're really missing the boat on is if we had a Spanish language outreach, we, we could reach a tremendous number of people that are typically socially conservative, but they vote Democrat for some reason. And if, if, uh, you know, I mean, um, gosh, can't remember Simone Boulevard. He carried a lock of George Washington's hair around with him every day of his life until he died. 
I mean, uh, Zapata, some of those guys, they, uh, they believed in liberty. They, um, they rebelled against uh, uh, an overreaching, overbearing, overtaxing government. <clears throat> but for some reason, that population is not being included now. And their, their natural outreach is to the Democratic Party, because that's where the money is. That's why my sisters vote Democrat, because they'll vote for anybody that'll give them money. <laughs> and de Tocqueville said, this republic will stand until the very day its citizens realize they can vote themselves money from the public trust. Sure. And yeah. I think that there's a tremendous group of people that if we could just get that group of people to realize what we're trying to do, that would be a big step. Yeah. And then I think smaller, smaller venues in more neighborhoods or stand on the corner. Gosh, I, I can remember seeing street preachers and I would stop and listen as long as the guy was talking. It was just, you know, that struck me as someone that cared enough about it to stand out there and, and uh, be spit on and yelled at and screamed yeah. at yeah. and have things thrown at him. And, it, and in spite of all of that, he stood there talking. Sure. Maybe we need more small events like that just to get people to wake up. Well, it's funny. It's funny. Mark's the third guy this week that mentioned the uh, Mexican-American population. Yeah. So the first one was my my uncle. He lives in Oklahoma. And, you know, they're starting to get a lot of a lot of uh, sure. the, the elite. Well, most mostly illegal, but a lot of legal um, Mexicans moving up in there. And he goes, man, I'm getting to know a lot of them. No, man, I like them. He goes, they're patriots. He goes, I. He goes, I just told my, one of my other nephews the other day that Mexican-American immigrants are going to be the ones that save this country. Some of the most yeah. moral, As soon as they figure out. Some of the most moral, hardworking people I've ever met have yeah. been from Mexico. Yeah. Some of my favorite people. Sure. I mean, yeah. just. Sure. Yeah, and, and it's it's not. We say Mexican, right? But it's really uh, Latin America, the, the, the Hispanic yeah. population, right. you know. And right. that's a population that's been told a lie that they've bought because they don't vote mm -hmm. for Democrats based on any other belief other than they've been told that person hates you. Yeah. You know? And they, and they bought it. Right. You know, yeah. oh, the Republicans hate you. The right, they right. hate you. The white man hates you. They're racist. You know? and, and that's the only reason they vote for Democrats. I mean, trust me, I, I, I was, I've been born and raised in, into an Hispanic community. And I'll, I'll tell you that my parents never bought that. And I'm glad they, ne they never fed us that, you know, I'm glad they never allowed us to buy that. We could have easily, jumped on that train, you know, and said, oh man, we're owed something. You know, we came here with nothing and we're owed something from the American government, from the white person. And that just never was our mentality. And, and I think most of them feel like we feel. I really do. When you get down uh, into the streets, into these neighborhoods, into, the, into these, you know, these communities and talk to these people, they believe the things that we believe. They want the things that we want. You know, they want less government. They want uh, tighter knit families. They want God. They want good education for their kids. You know, they want all the things that we all desire to have. They want uh, to reap the rewards so, of their own hard work. And, and they're hard workers. They are hard workers to take care of their families, you know? They do. So, uh, and that is, that is a community that we need to bring in, you know? And, and I've often thought that uh, that would be a good place uh for us to, to freedom works energy. Freedom. freedom works has a big movement going on right yeah. now in um, in texas and the border states and they've sure. got a guy heading that up and it's and, it's and on social sense. media there's the whole lexit you know which is oh yeah latinos exiting you know the democratic party and it's amazing this is a nationwide thing you know it's actually a phenomenon where for the first time i, I think we're, we're seeing large you know large 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 uh, portions of the hispanic population that's going to turn and vote for uh 
I'm not, I don't even want to say Republican because I'm so disenfranchised with, with the, both sides, you know, yeah. but Conservative. for, for the conservatives. Well, you know, I, I, think, I think the tides are changing because yeah. um, whether you support Trump or not, I mean, there was, there was more Latino people that voted for Trump than yes, any other was. Republican president ever. And, you know, so, so I think that the, the momentum is already kind of swinging that way, but sure. you're right, Mark. Um, what, what if we use this thing against them and, by them opening the floodgates, floodgates to uh, people coming over here, and and we red pilled them, and you know what I mean. We red we red pill them, and we turn them Take against the, the globalists. You know, yeah. Sure. I think that's a great idea. Well, in, in the early days of this nation, uh, it was two votes that determined that English would be the national language of the United States instead of German. I mean, yeah. so these things aren't new. Once again, I, this pendulum is always swinging, and it's always swinging at someone. And so what we need to do is we need to climb on the pendulum and help it swing our direction. And, sure. and if we did have Spanish language outreach, um, I personally have been all over the world. I've been all over South America. And, and um, the people that I meet and cross paths with, they want the same things we want. They want God in their lives. They want the government off their backs. They want to be free to make money and make a living and have some say in how that money is spent. These are simple things, mm-hmm. and they're things that every human being has a right to. And but what we need to do is we need to find the language skills. And and I'm you know I'm saying that I don't I don't speak Spanish either. What's well, so my I'm first language? So I can probably start but, somewhere. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we need to find the skills to be able to reach those people. That's right. All right, Carlos, you got you a new job. There we yeah, go. Yeah, that's yeah. it, man. I don't have enough. I need, I need another one. You need more responsibility. <laughs> more responsibility. Yeah. No, but you know that's actually something that's worth putting energy into because we live in an area where traditionally we haven't seen like up here in Redding, we haven't seen a lot of Hispanic people, but we're seeing more, you know. And if you go down to Red Bluff, Corning, Orland, mm-hmm. you start seeing, you know, even here in Redding, more in Willows and Williams. Valley. So yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So I, I think they're within our reach, you know, people that we can uh, bring into our community who are like-minded and, and would love to be a part of this American experiment. Because I said this earlier, Mark, right when I asked about needing a new country, uh, it's not because that's what I think. It's because that's what I hope that we can avoid. I hope that we can, you know, uh, you said that the first step is to stop the bleeding. You know, well, the second life-saving step is to restore the breathing. And I hope that we can restore exactly. that. You know, I hope that we can restore the yeah. breathing to our country to no, the point... I, I- I think the only way to do that is to create a state where we lead from the front. And, you know, and that's what we did with Jefferson in the, in the beginning. We, we got a resolution past our own board of supervisors. And, and that very night, two other counties called me and said, how can we, we want one of those two in our counties. And these were county supervisors that called me, not regular people. Sure. And I, one was Modoc County. And I said, well, do you want me to come and give a speech about it? No, no, I, I already know what it's about email me when we're going to vote on it next Tuesday and, and we're, and we're going to pass it. And by word of mouth only, it was the largest crowd they'd ever had at a supervisor's meeting in the history of mm. Modoc County. Wow. I mean, awesome. literally the room was full and we didn't tell anybody. We didn't even know anybody yeah. there. Yeah. And so what you do is, you know, I, I, I had a friend once and I worked with this guy for 30 years, and, and no matter where we were in the world, we'd try to find a church on Sunday, and we'd ask uh, Bill, uh, my flight engineer, if he wanted to go, and he always said, no, no, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Well, one day he said, yeah, I want to go with you, and I was flabbergasted, and I said, well, Bill, why do you want to go? And he said, because it looks like your life's work 
and my life doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I want I want what you have. I want what you have that makes your life work. And that's what we're talking about. What we want to do is we want to present a form of government, which is a constitutional form of government because it works better than any other form of government ever invented by mankind. Sure. Maybe there's a better way, but we don't know what it is. Yeah. And we want that. And we want to show people that our lives work when we adhere to these principles. And then they're going to want what we have and they're going to ask us how to get it. So if we can get enough counties together to change their lives within their counties, get rid of the bums and the crooks like you guys are doing, and form a constitutional board of supervisors and start running the county constitutionally and make it easier to get rid of the bums and the crooks if you accidentally elect one, and then we teach other counties how we did it. And then when they come around and finally we gather enough counties together, then we demand constitutional behavior in the, in the form of our own state. And once we regain control of federal lands in our own states for state management and, and regain control of our own tax money, and where, in other words, uh, in our constitution in Jefferson, we collect the ca- tax money at the county level and the county sends the state what it needs to fill its budget, not the other way around. We don't send our money hostage to the state, and then the state sends the county back a dime. And that's how we want to do these things. State offices are to give advice to counties when counties ask for it. If your county ends up to be poorly run, go look in the mirror because you did it to yourself. Sure. So and if we can do that enough, and we could form one state that had true constitutional republic, other states will want to know how to get that too. And now if we could get enough states, now we can get to Washington and demand constitutional behavior from the monster that we created. Because remember, the states created that monster, not the other way around. And government, the government we formed is supposed to serve us. We do not serve them. I love this line in the Administrative Procedures Act. It says, the people of the state of California do not yield their sovereignty to the agencies they formed to serve them. And somehow the meaning of that has been lost. And what we need to do desperately is put that back in front of these people who claim to be our public servants and make them adhere to that statement. Yeah, that is beautiful right there. That that was a great place to end. We are out of time. Uh, Mark, thank you so much, and please come on as often as you would like, as you can. Thank you so much for all the hard work you've been putting in over all these hard years, and hopefully you um, are seeing the momentum kind of shift in the way of freedom and liberty. I I think I I see it going that way. Um, Well, I think God's in in charge, but I'll just leave you with this thought. Uh, Ben Franklin said that liberty must be protected at all hazards. You have a right to it, derived from your maker. And even if that were not true, it was purchased and bought for you by your fathers with their blood, their, their uh, ease, and their estates. Yes. All right. Thank you, Mark. Thank Thanks, you, Mark. Okay, Thank see you, you guys. Thanks again. Eli, we got one more little. You, you cut it? Oh, shoot. <coughs> What's that? I told them I was going to talk. I told the Staley's I was going to tell.